When is David and Diana, when are they supposed to be back home tonight? Is it, are they coming in tonight? We're looking at the New Testament book of Colossians. And we're in sort of a new section this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are so very good to us. We are so thankful for your goodness and mercy and your grace. For your patience with us, for extending your love to us, to pay for our sin, to enable us to work in our hearts, to enable us to come to you and to seek your face. Thank you for the privilege, and it is a privilege, that we have to assemble together in the name of our Savior, to open his word to ask that you would open our hearts and our lives would be touched. I pray, in spite of the great limitations of the speaker and the distractions that may come to my mind, that you would help us to hear from you in such a manner that our hearts and lives would really be challenged by you to accomplish what you desire to accomplish in us. We are, we are very needy people. And I pray that not only will we recognize that need and have a clear understanding of the things that lie in our path that hinder us from following you, but that you would enable us to pursue you, to seek you, to serve you, to love you. Pray to do that in my life. Many distractions, that, uh, and I was thinking about that this morning, Lord, the distractions that come across my, my heart, my life, and uh, it's, it's easy for me. I don't say that lightly, but it is easy for me to be distracted. So I pray you'll help me not to do that, not to lose that focus. Help us not to lose that focus, but to focus on the Lord Jesus, to know you, to serve you, to love you, to follow you. I pray your blessing upon this service this morning, and upon the text that we're looking at. And you'll speak to us from your word for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Paul starts this section in Colossians chapter 1, first of all, with the first two verses we call the greeting. These are just little hooks, maybe, to hang your thoughts on. He, he gives the greeting there, introducing himself by name. He's the apostle according to the will of God, also Timothy, and it's written to the saints that are faithful brothers in Christ. That's his greeting. Then he turns from verses 3 to 8 to look at the gospel. The gospel is mentioned there. The number of terms that he uses to describe the gospel. We looked at those words, things like faith and love and hope. The gospel that has come to you in all, is in all the world. That's a universal gospel. That's the most important message that we can proclaim to people is the gospel that God has paid the price for our sins. And so he's talked about those things. Um, and so he, he, he has listed that in what I've called Paul's gospel. Now today we come to a new section that I've just simply, in following the format, 
going with Paul's prayer, verses 9 through 14, where he begins to, to pray, he expresses in the previous section his gratitude to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for the church, the church which didn't hear the gospel from Paul, they actually first heard the gospel through Epaphras, uh, but Paul is learning about that. Epaphras has now come all the way from the area of Colossae where the church is all the way to Paul where he's in prison in Rome, which is over a thousand mile journey. He's come to tell him a little bit about some of the problems that are beginning to surface in the church as Paul is responding with this letter. And um, as he's heard these good reports, and by the way, if you look at that the previous text there, there's a lot of information in those two verses, verses two through eight, that refer to the dissemination or the hearing or the receiving of the message so that it's clear that this is something that is being delivered by word of mouth. Paul says in verse four, since we heard of your faith, he's heard the word, he's heard from Epaphras, he's heard what's going on. Further on down in verse five, he talks about, you have previously heard in the word of the truth. Truth has to do with communication and accuracy. Um, and he talks the gospel. It talks about that which has come to you. Uh, he says further on down, since the day you heard of it and understood. So grace that has to do with receiving what you heard and understood it and perceived, perceived it. And then he says in verse seven, you learned it from Epaphras and um, the things about Christ as also the very last verse is also informed us of your love. So here, here is the results of some communication back and forth. The church heard the gospel from the Paphras. Paul is now hearing a lot of the problems and things that are going on with the church. And he's excited about that and about the love they have for all the saints. And so that has now driven him in his letter to talk about prayer. He is responding with prayer. Do you pray? I used to pray more than I do because of my job. Well, I shouldn't say that because that's passing the buck. But, but there are things, there are distractions in my life that a lot of times interfere. I used to pray early in the morning. I still do, but it's, it needs more work. But as I remember what Rick was saying, that that's a very important aspect of his life. Uh, and it is a very important aspect of his life. But do we pray? Do you pray? It's really important to avail ourselves of this access we have an access that is unprecedented because we have the privilege of coming before the great throne of almighty god it's the only throne there is and by the way that's something else i don't want to get sidetracked it's a rabbit trail i know we studied revelation and revelation uh, chapters uh, four and following there's a lot of information about the throne the one sitting on the throne uh, lights thunders and things that proceed from the throne there are angels around the throne is that a liberal throne? I don't think it is. Why? Why did God design a throne? He doesn't have to. He, he doesn't have to have a throne. He could do what he wants to do with that, but he has a throne that's established and he's on it. And I think he did it uh, for several reasons. Number one, to establish a seat of ultimate authority. There's only one throne. It is occupied. And every time you find the throne in the Bible, it's occupied. Never, never is there a time in which the throne is empty for a little while. It's always occupied. And it's a focal point for worship and praise. And I think a focal point for our prayers. If you think about it, 
not joking, but seriously, it is potentially the most dangerous spot that exists. Because the one who sits on the throne is absolutely holy. Absolutely holy. And the only approach that anyone can make to survive approaching that throne is someone who is absolutely holy. There is no lesser degree of holiness. And if we come before the throne and we have access to that throne, that is a monumental privilege that we have to come before the throne because we stand out in Christ. We're in him. And so being clothed in him and his righteousness, we have the privilege of coming before the throne which is occupied. And we have the privilege of, of seeking counsel with him, communication with him, and asking him intercede for us and not only do we do that but we do that through a mediator who is before the throne on our behalf this is awesome this is magnificent so do you take advantage of that do i take advantage of that Boy, we should we should do that we should run to him and maybe prayer is one of the last things we do it should be one of the first places we go when we have struggled because it is the place that we can go to seek the comfort of God. I've been praying uh, more than many times within the last several years, um, and I've seen some really very interesting answers to prayer that God showers on us. He's so good to do that. He doesn't have to, he does. And he takes our prayers, and I'm discovering that, and we already know that, but he uses our prayers to help mold his work and his plan and his work so that he's doing what he wants to do, but he's also using as part of a catalyst our prayers as we beseech the throne on behalf of his work and his kingdom. And that's what Paul is doing here. Paul is bringing before the throne some issues with that church that he's very concerned about. There are several things that he, he's, going to be, he's going to be talking about. We're not going to, as you probably have guessed already, we're not going to finish them all today. But we'll get started with them. But beginning, well, two things that Paul sort of deals with here. First is Paul's response, which I've just covered that he's responding to the information that's going on with the church and what Epaphras has told them and some of the problems. He's responding to that in prayer. That's why that's what he says. For this reason, verse 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. So heard of your faith and heard of the, the work that's, that's going on in your church and the struggles that you're having we haven't ceased to pray for you we have been praying for you because it's a spiritual battle these are spiritual forces of, of wickedness and so they are and then notice the second part not just paul's response but we're going to slow down and look at the request that paul has number one he says there in verse nine after he opens he says for this reason also since the day we heard of it have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. To be filled with the knowledge of his will. The word that's translated there, fill, you know the word uh, gnosis, which has to do with knowledge and learning of things and acquiring information. But this word has a prefix in it, uh, in the passage that you wrote down, in that passage you've given several indications of force of a prefix coming to or coming over or doing it the prefix directs the traffic 
that surrounds the verse. So that whatever the verse is saying, the prefix, the, the little uh, prefix of the word, uh, participle, directs the traffic of that word. And so here, in this passage here, he's talking about knowledge. It's the, has a little prefix epi, epi, which intensifies it so that you would translate it full knowledge or complete knowledge or experiential knowledge. So it's a it's a powerful word. And in this that, that's interesting to me that Paul begins here by saying that you may be filled. Uh, the word filled there, let's look at that for a moment, uh, means to can do with verifying something or finishing something or accomplishing something. It's not just the word filled. It's that word is used in one of our favorite passages in Ephesians chapter five, where Paul is talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what he says there in verse 518, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> now, what does that mean? So basically, it means to be controlled by, to be under the, the authority of, to be in link with, if you will, the Holy Spirit, to be controlled is probably the best way to put that. And so he's using that word there. It says, uh, not to be drunk with wine, but that's dissipation of being controlled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. You see the result of having the Spirit in control and doing these things? Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God and the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. All of that flowing out from under this passage that talks about being controlled by the Holy Spirit. That same word is used in Luke in a little bit of a different way, but it has the same idea. In Luke uh, chapter 5, verse 24, uh, Luke writes, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said this, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. This is that passage in John 5 that Pete went through such a long time, the guy that was sitting down by the pool. And so he's he's uh, following that and talking about the power of the Lord. It says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. And immediately he got up before them and picked up the stretcher. This is, I'm sorry, this is the, the passage that and they laid the stretcher down between the roof and the roof of the tiles around that. We talked about that the other night. And um, they were they were all struck and astonishment began glorifying God and saying that they were filled. Why? Because Jesus healed them. And if you, if you think about that, we read about it, but we don't grasp the real significance of it. It actually been there. It's one of those things where it's like seeing the Grand Canyon. You see pictures of it, but nothing impresses you like actually being there. And there's this 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 case here. Uh, he said, and Jesus told the paralytic, "I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home." Is this guy that it had to be carried? He was absolutely, totally incapable of being able to carry himself. He was on a stretcher. And he was that's the way they could get in there. But then Jesus spoke, and he got up. Immediately he got up and he picked up what, what he'd been lying on and he went home and he went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And here's our word. And they were filled with fear, saying, we 
have seen remarkable things today. In other words, this the power of this miracle really affected him. It really controlled their emotions, what they were saying, what they were doing, their response. It was something they talked about. It was something that they carried home and talked to others about. It really affected him in a way that generated some real reverence and fear glorifying God. The last word, last place, and I we do many of these, but one other place where the word fear is, uh, the word field is used is in Acts 4.31. When they had prayed, this is on the day of Pentecost, the place that they had been gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit was controlling them and they were doing things in response because the Holy Spirit had come and was filling them, was controlling them. And they were filled um, with that, with the power of the Spirit. And it affected their lives. It affected what was going on. It wasn't something that just came and went. It really controlled them. So in our text here, when we read um, filled with the full knowledge, it's a way of saying that the real knowledge, the overflowing experiential knowledge that Paul is praying for these believers to have is the kind of knowledge that really overflows in their life and their heart has a real effect on them. It's a very powerful word. The word, um, the, the idea of, of um, the idea of being controlled there is um, the same kind of thing that in, in the passage in John, First Corinthians one five, Paul prays talks about in everything that you are enriched or controlled in Him in all speech and all knowledge everything that passage full knowledge is used in colossians chapter 3 verse 10 and i'm getting a little bit ahead of my stuff here on these words but i wanted to show you i went through this the other day with colossians and i pointed out that there's several verses that paul uses the word full knowledge but here is in verse 10 um he talks about um do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with his evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed in a true or full knowledge according to the image of the one who created you. So, but put off, put on, put on picture, put off the old man, we put off the sinful nature, we put off the bad habits, and we put on a Christ-like attitude, a Christ-like demeanor. It doesn't mean that we are living the life of uh, works, but it means that we are cooperating with what God has told us to do. That's why he tells us these things here, things that we need to obey, things that we need to listen to, and things that we need to take seriously. <clears throat> Another passage where that is used is over in Philippians. Paul says, right, sir, for my God, for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge or in full knowledge and all discernment. Those are two things that he says that I just pray that your love, your growth will abound more and more in this experiential knowledge and in discernment. And so it's a thing that's, that's common with Paul that the uh, reality is that we deal, the church deals with truth. We know we have the truth of God here. We know that it's the ultimate truth. Uh, it's not a debatable issue with us, and we want to take it and practice it, but we have to know it. 
And in knowing it, it affects our lives. The more we know it, the more it affects us. Uh, we have been given a book of absolutes, a book of foundational truths. If you look through the, the books of the New Testament, usually the first part of the book is doctrinal in, in nature, giving us doctrinal issues. And then that's usually followed by the practical application of those doctrinal issues. We have the knowledge that we gain from the doctrine, but that knowledge is then supposed to be produced in our lives in practical application in the, in the practical application of the word God. And living is always a tied down to knowledge and how we are to live. Take your Bibles, turn over to Romans for a moment. Let me show you how this kind of applies to us. This is Romans chapter one. Um, I think around verse 18. Yeah, it's where Paul is describing the serious depravity of the human race. And he's quoting a number of passages there, beginning in verse 18 of Romans 3, actually not verse 18, verse 10. And I want you to notice what he says there. He says that um, Paul and We've all charged that we all understand both Jews and Greeks as it is written. And then here is quotes from the Old Testament, mostly Psalms. It says, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none that, that are right, that are right standing, that have their, their act together. There's none that are righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. Hmm. That, what does he mean, understands? What's that, what's that saying? What, what, uh, what does that mean? Well, if we take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, look at Ephesians 4, 18. You probably get at it quickly laughing because I've got so many Ephesians 4, 18 says this. In verse 17, he says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of your heart, their heart. So here is this the term that's used of those who are unbelievers, that they're living in ignorance. They don't understand the wholeness of God, the reality of the, the gospel. They don't understand their lost condition. They are in a place of great need and a, a place of, of, of real destitution of the truth. They, they don't have the truth and they need the truth. They need to be in it. That's kind of what, what the passage is talking about here. In fact, um, I have Job 23.20 written in. Let's look at that just for a moment. He says, um, I'm sorry, 28, 
Where then does wisdom come from? Where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eye of all living and concealed from the bird, from the birds of the sky. So he's talking about knowledge. He's talking about the things where we get wisdom, where we get understanding. These things are concealed from, from those that, are, that don't have understanding. Thus, they, thus, it is hidden from the eyes of all living, concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our eyes, we have heard the report of it. And uh, so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thought to me. Proverbs 9, 10 is another one. Psalm Proverbs 9, 10 that talks about Is the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. By me, your days will be multiplied, and the years of your life will be added. So here are just several passages. This understanding, this knowledge, this wisdom that comes as a result of, of what Paul is praying for this church to have this knowledge to overflow in their lives, to be productive, to help them walk as they should walk, so that the word impacts the mind. It impacts the thinking, the process of thinking, which is, which I guess responds in our living, in our actions. So we have the doctrine, which overflows in our practice and our walk, and that's very important. And so, I think that's that's what he's talking about here when he talks about we have this full knowledge that's affecting our lives and affecting how we respond, and in doing that, it controls our minds and our hearts. It produces God the living. And uh, as we saw in this passage in Romans, that's the universal condemnation that God says, none righteous and there are none that understand, none that have this knowledge, none that have this understanding of who God is, nor do they have this understanding of what the condition of man can lack that. And that's, that's Paul says in Corinthians, in the first Corinthians, that um, the natural man does not understand, does not perceive, does not grasp the things in the spirit of God. He cannot because the things in are spiritually appraised and they are things that in fact we look we get to our verse here that's another part of this text that he says um that they be filled with this full knowledge of his will in all what's that spiritual wisdom and understanding spiritual wisdom and understanding the word uh, spiritual there is kind of a defining term and it relates to things we know pneuma having to do with wind. It relates to things that related to air, to wind, to breathing of that nature. The things that are related to the spirit. Uh, the woman at the well, if you remember in John 4, when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, and they came down, I think it was in verse, I believe verse 24, where they talked about worship and uh, the Jesus mentioned that uh, you need to worship in spirit and in truth. And the word spirit there has to do with the spiritual realm. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not just a physical, we, we think of physical worship as just falling prostate, but there needs to be that spiritual reality, that heart issue behind it. Spirit and in truth. Truth means it's not hypocritical. Worship has to be real worship. It has to be worship that is genuine from the heart. And that's the kind of worship that, that God is looking for when David was repenting in Psalm 51. Uh, one of the things he said is that the, the uh, 
offering that God appreciates as a broken and contrite heart, a real heart, the heart that is really genuinely broken over sin. Uh, that's what we need to do. And so for, he talks about wisdom, that is spiritual wisdom. Sophia uh, is the word and wisdom that means it's, it's a wisdom that has to do with living, uh, the affairs of living. Spiritual wisdom is, is uh, living in the realm of the spirit and, the, and spiritual things, dealing with the spiritual issues of light. Um, it has to do with practical living. Let me just give the passage here. Proverbs. Proverbs. Proverbs talks that Solomon talks a lot about wisdom in the first 20 chapters of Proverbs. Which wisdom has to do with dealing with the issues of life. They can be issues, the divine wisdom that is issues of life dealing from the scriptures, or it can also be practical wisdom, wisdom that you learn, like in the business world and things like that, of how to be a good business person or whatever. And so he talks about that. And uh, in chapter two, talking about pursuing wisdom, Solomon writes, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as with hidden treasure, then you will discern, understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so there's a lot of important emphasis placed, particularly in Proverbs on wisdom. And here Paul is praying for spiritual wisdom, which has to do with living life, both in the sand of God's wisdom and as well as practical wisdom and also understanding that's the last word it relates to drawing a logical conclusion putting together the facts of wisdom into a logical practice so that the wisdom that you've learned is logically brought together and you can, you can make it productive in your life so that's the first point that paul is praying and obviously we're out of time but uh, that's the first thing he's praying for the church and he's asking that you would be filled uh, you would be controlled with this full knowledge, this knowledge of his will, that will that is revealed in the scriptures, uh, in all spiritual wisdom that is a realm of the spirit, dealing with what is, how you can apply it to your life and use it in your life, as well as an understanding. My son grew up uh, studying, I think, Proverbs, I believe you did it once every night, or what I know, they used to do that with you a lot going through the Proverbs. And the Proverbs is a real source of wisdom. It's a very valuable source of wisdom. There are 31 Proverbs, and generally speaking, 31 days in the month. It has been pointed out that there's a Proverbs for every day of the month. And uh, that's a good that's a good point. And uh, it's, a, it's a source of wisdom and a source of learning how to profit and be successful um, in what you call the art of living, but you want to do it in a way that honors God as Lord God said. You will say something? Yeah, I recommend you, you do that in the New Living Translation. Okay. Yep. Of all the translations I've read of Proverbs, that one does an especially good job. New Living. Okay. Why don't you close in prayer? Sure. 
Father, we thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for uh, giving it to us. <clears throat> I pray that we in this church might grow in that ourselves and uh, that we might seek the full wisdom of, of God. And uh, when we see that with spiritual eyes, it's transforming. It changes, it changes us. We don't have to force a response to it. It'll come naturally and result in worship and gratitude and changed attitudes. So I pray that you would accomplish that for your glory in our lives. Even today, pray for the Bible study this afternoon as well, and uh, that you will work your word into our lives this coming week. In Jesus' name.